Chapter 9 of The Horse and His Boy by Chronicles of Narnia, in Chronicles of Narnia series, by C.S. Lewis. How dreadful! How perfectly dreadful! whimpered Lazareline. Oh, darling, I am so frightened. I'm shaking all over. Feel me! Come on, said our Erebus, who was trembling herself. They've gone back to the new palace. Once we're out of this room, we're safe enough, but it's wasted a terrible time. Get me down to the water gate as quickly as you can. Oh, darling, how can you? squeaked Lazareline. I can't do anything. Not now. Oh, my poor nerves. No, we must, we must just lie still a bit and then go back. Why back? asked Avarice. Erebus, goodness. Oh, you don't understand. You're so, you're so in unsympathetic, said Lazareline beginning to cry. Erebus decided it was no occasion for mercy. Look here, she said, catching Lazareline and giving her a good shake. If you say another word about going back, and if you don't start taking me to that water gate at once, do you know what I'll do to you? I'll rush out into that passage and I'll scream, and then we'll both be caught. But we both would be k-k-k-k-kills, said Lazareline. Didn't you hear what the Tisrock, may he live forever, said? Yes, and I'd sooner be killed than married to a hosta. So come on! Oh, you are unkind, said Lazareline, and I in such a state. But in the end, she had to give in to Erebus. She led the way down the steps they had already descended, and along another corridor, and finally out into the open air. They were now in the palace garden, which sloped down in terraces to the city wall. The moon shone brightly. One of the drawbacks about adventures is that when you come to the most beautiful places, you are often too anxious and hurried to appreciate them. So that Erebus, though she remembered them years later, had only a vague impression of grey lawns, quietly bubbling fountains, and the long black shadows of cypress trees. When they reached the very bottom and the wall rose frowning above them, Lazareline was shaking so much that she could not unbolt the gate. Erebus did. There at last was the river, full of reflected moonlight, and a little landing stage and a few pleasure boats. Goodbye, said Erebus, and thank you. I'm sorry if I've been a pig, but think what I'm flying from. Oh, Erebus, darling, said Lazareline, won't you change your mind, now that you've seen what a great man Ahoshta is? Great man, said Erebus, a hideous, groveling slave who flatters when he's kicked, but treasures it all up and hopes to get his own back by egging on that horrible Tisrock to plot his own son's death. Ugh! I'd sooner marry my father's scullion than a creature like that. Oh, Erebus, Erebus! How can you say such dreadful things? And about the Tisrock, may he live, live forever, too! It must be right if he's going to do it. Goodbye, said Erebus. And I thought your dresses were lovely, and I think your house is lovely too. I'm sure you'll have a lovely life, though it wouldn't suit me. Close the door softly behind me. She tore herself away from her friend's affectionate embraces, stepped into a punt, cast off, and a moment later was out in midstream with a huge, real moon overhead, and a huge reflecting moon down, deep, deep down the river. The air was fresh and cool, and she drew near the further bank she heard the hooting of an owl. Ah! That's better, thought Erebus. She had always lived in the country and had hated every minute of her time in Tashban. When she stepped ashore, she found herself in darkness, for the rise of the ground and the trees cut off the moonlight. But she managed to find the same road that Shasta had found, and came just as he had done to the end of the grass in the beginning of the sand, and looked like him to her left and saw the big black tombs. And now at last, brave girl though she was, her heart quailed, supposing the others weren't there. 
supposing the ghouls were, but she stuck out her chin and a little bit of her tongue too, and went straight towards them. But before she had reached them, she saw Bree and Huynh and the groom. "'You can go back to your mistress now,' said Erebus, quite forgetting that he couldn't until the city gates opened next morning. "'Here is money for your pains.' "'To hear is to obey,' said the groom, and at once set off at a remarkable speed in the direction of the city. There was no need to tell him to make haste. He also had been thinking a good deal about ghouls. For the next few seconds, Erebus was busy kissing the noses and patting the necks of Huynh and Bree, just as if they were quite ordinary horses.' "'And here comes Shasta! Thanks be to the lion!' said Bree. Erebus looked down, and there, right enough, was Shasta, who had come out of hiding the moment he saw the groom going away. "'And now,' said Erebus, "'there's not a moment to lose!' And in hasty words she told them about Rabidash's expedition. "'Treacherous hounds!' said Bree, shaking his mane and stamping with his hoof. "'An attack in time of peace, without defiance sent!' "'But we'll grease his oats for him. "'We'll be there before he is.' "'Can we?' said Erebus, "'swinging herself into Quinn's saddle. "'Shasta wished he could mount like that. <coughs> "'Boo-hoo!' snorted Bree. "'Up you get, Shasta. "'Can we? "'And with a good start, too.' "'He said he was going to start at once,' said Erebus. "'That's how humans talk,' said Bree. "'But you don't get a company of two hundred horse and a horseman, "'watered and victualed, and armed and saddled and started all in a minute. "'Now what's our direction? Do north?' "'No,' said Shasta. I-, "'I know about that. I've drawn a line. I- "'I'll explain later. Bear a bit to our left, both you horses. "'Ah, here it is.' "'Now,' said Bree. "'All that about galloping for a day and night, like in stories, can't really be done. "'It must be walk.' and trot, but brisk trots and short walks, and whenever we walk, you two humans can slip off and walk too. Now, are you ready, Huynh? Off we go, Narnia and the North! At first, it was delightful. The night had now been going on for so many hours that the sand had almost finished giving back all the sun heat it had received during the day, and the air was cool, fresh, and clear. Under the moonlight, the sand in every direction, and as far as they could see, gleamed as if it were smooth water or a great silver tray. Except for the noise of breeze and wind's hooves, there was not a sound to be heard. Shasta would nearly have fallen asleep if he had not had to dismount and walk every now and then. This seemed to last for hours. Then there came a time when there was no longer any moon. They seemed to ride in the dead darkness for hours and hours, and after that there came a moment when Shasta noticed that he could see Bree's neck and head in front of him a little more clearly than before. And slowly, very slowly, he began to notice the vast gray flatness on every side. It looked absolutely dead, like something in a dead world, and Shasta felt quite terribly tired, and noticed that he was getting cold and that his lips were dry. And all the time the squeak of the letter, the jingle of the bits, and the noise of the hooves, not property-property as it would have been on a hard road, but thuppity-thuppity on the dry sand. At last, after hours of riding, far away on his right, there came a single long streak of paler gray, low down on the horizon, then a streak of red. It was the morning at last, but without a single bird to sing about it. He was glad of the walking bits now, for he was colder than ever." Then suddenly the sun rose and everything changed in a moment. The gray sand turned yellow and twinkled as if it were strewn with diamonds. On their left, the shadows of Shasta and Huynh and Bree and Erebus, enormously long, raced beside them. The double peak of Mount Pyre, far ahead, flashed in the sunlight, and Shasta saw they were a little out of the course. A bit left, a bit left, he sang out. Best of all, when you looked back, Tashvan was already small and remote. 
The tombs were quite invisible, swallowed up in that single jagged-edged hump, which was the city of Tisrock. Everyone felt better. But not for long. Though Tashban looked very far away when they first saw it, it refused to look any further away as they went on. Shasta gave up looking back at it, for it only gave him the feeling that they were not moving at all. Then the light became a nuisance. The glare of the sand made his eyes ache, but he knew he mustn't shut them. He must screw them up and kept on looking ahead at Mount Pyre and shouting out directions. Then came the heat. He noticed it for the first time when he had to dismount and walk. As he slipped down to the sand and heat from it struck up into his face as if from an opening of an oven door. Next time it struck up into his face as if from the... Oh, next time. It was worse. But the third time, as his bare feet touched the sand, he screamed with pain and got one foot back in the stirrup and the other half over Bree's back before you could have said knife. Oh, sorry, Bree, he gasped. I can't walk. It burns my feet. Of course, panted Bree. Should have thought of that myself. Stay on. Can't be helped. It's all right for you, said Shasta to Erebus, who was walking beside Wynne. You've got shoes on. Erebus said nothing and looked prim. Let's hope she didn't mean to, but she did. On again, trot and walk and trot and jingle, 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 squeak, 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 smell of hot horse, smell of hot self, blinding glare, headache, and nothing at all different for mile after mile. Tashban would never look any further away. The mountains would never look any nearer. You felt this had been going on for always. Jingle, 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 squeak, 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 smell of hot horse, smell of hot self. Of course, one tried all sorts of games with oneself to try to make the time pass, and of course, they were all no good. And one tried very hard not to think of drinks. Iced sherbet in a palace in Tashban. Clear spring water tinkling with a dark, earthly sound. Cold, smooth milk, just creamy enough and not too creamy. And the harder you tried not to think, the more you thought. Alas, there was something different. A mass of rocks sticking up out of the sand about fifty yards long and thirty feet high. It did not cast much shadow, for the sun was not very high, but it cast a little. Into that shade they crowded. There they ate some food and drank a little water. It is not easy giving a horse a drink out of a skin bottle, but Bree and Huynh were clever with their lips. No one had anything like enough. No one spoke. The horses were flecked with foam and their breathing was noisy. The children were pale. After a very short rest, they went on. Some noises, some smells, some glare, till at last their shadows began to fall on their right, and then got longer and longer till they seemed to stretch out to the eastern end of the world. Very slowly the sun drew nearer to the western horizon. And now at last he was down, and thank goodness the merciless glare was gone, though the heat coming up from the sand was still as bad as ever. Four pairs of eyes were looking out eagerly for any sign of the valley that Salopad the raven had spoken about. But mile after mile there was nothing but level sand. And now the day was quite definitely done, and most of the stars were out, and still the horses thundered on, and the children rose and sank in their saddles, miserable with thirst and weariness. Not till the moon had risen did Shasta, in the strange, barking voice of someone whose mouth was perfectly dry, shout out, "'There it is!' There was no mistaking it now. Ahead and a little to their right, there was at, la at last a slope, a slope downward and hummocks of rock on each side. The horses were far too tired to speak, but they swung around towards it, and in a minute or two were entering the gully. At first it was worse in there than it had been out in the open desert, for there was a breathless stuffiness between the rocky walls and less moonlight. The slope continued steeply downwards, and the rocks on either hand rose to the height of cliffs. 
Then they began to meet vegetation, prickly, cactus-like plants, and coarse grass of the kind that would prick your fingers. Soon the horse hooves were falling on pebbles and stones instead of sand. Round every bend of the valley, and it had many bends, they looked eagerly for water. The horses were nearly at the end of their strength now, and when stumbling and panting, was lagging behind Bree. They were almost in despair before at last they came to a little muddiness and a tiny trickle of water through the softer and better grass. And the trickle became a brook, and the brook became a stream with bushes on each side, and the stream became a river, and they came, after some disappointments that I could possibly describe, a moment when Shasta, who had been in a kind of doze, suddenly realized that Bree had stopped and found himself slipping off. Before them a little cataract of water poured into a broad bowl pool, and both the horses were already in the pool with their heads down, drinking, drinking, drinking. Oh, said Shasta, and plunged in. It was about up to his knees and stooped his head right into the cataract. It was perhaps the loveliest moment in his life. It was about ten minutes later when all four of them, the two children wet nearly all over, came out and began to notice their surroundings. The moon was now high enough to peep down into the valley. There was soft grass on both sides of the river, and beyond the grass, trees and bushes sloped up to the bases of the cliffs. There must have been some wonderful flowering shrubs hidden in that shadowy undergrowth, for the whole glade was full of the coolest and most delicious smells. And out of the darkest recess among the trees, there came a sound Shasta had never heard before. A nightingale. Everyone was much too tired to speak or to eat. The horses, without waiting to be unsaddled, lay down at once, and so did Erevis and Shasta. About ten minutes later, the careful Huynn said, "'But we mustn't go to sleep. We've got to keep ahead of that rabidash.' "'No,' said Bree very slowly. "'Mustn't go to sleep. Just a little rest.' Shasta knew for a moment that they would all go to sleep if he didn't get up and do something about it, and felt that he ought to. In fact, he decided that they would get up and persuade them to go on. But presently, not yet, not just yet.' Very soon the moon shone, and the nightingale sang over two horses and two human children, all fast asleep. It was Erebus who woke first. The sun was already high in the heavens, and the cool morning hours were already wasted. Oh, it's my fault, she said to herself furiously as she jumped up and began rousing the others. One wouldn't expect horses to keep awake after a day's work like that, even if they can talk. And of course that boy wouldn't. He's had no decent training, but I ought to have known better. The others were dazed and stupid with the heaviness of their sleep. "'Hey-ho! Hoo-hoo!' said Bree. "'Been sleeping in my saddle, eh? I'll never do that again. Most uncomfortable.' "'Oh, come on! Come on!' said Erevis. "'We've lost half the morning already. There isn't a moment to spare.' "'A fellow's got to have a mouthful of grass,' said Bree. "'I'm afraid we can't,' said Erevis. "'What's the terrible hurry?' said Bree. "'We've crossed the desert, haven't we?' But we're not in Archenland yet, said Erebus, and we've got to get there before Rapidash. Oh, we must be miles ahead of him, said Bree. Haven't we been coming a shorter way? Didn't that raven friend of yours say this was a shortcut, Shasta? Oh, he didn't say anything about shorter, answered Shasta. He only said better, because you got the river to this way. If the oasis is due north of Tashben, then I'm afraid this may be longer. Well... I can't go on without a snack, said Bree. Take my bridle off, Shasta. Oh, p p please, said Huynn very shyly. I feel just like Bree that I can't go on. But when horses have humans with spurs and things on their backs, aren't they often made to go on when they're feeling like this? 
and then they find they can. I, I mean, I, oughtn't we to be able to do even more now that we're free? It's all for Narnia. I think, ma'am, said Bree very crushingly, that I know a little more about campaigns and forced marches and what a horse can stand than you do. To this, Quinn made no answer, being like mostly highly bred mares, a very nervous and gentle person who was easily put down. In reality, she was quite right. And if Bree had taken a Tarkin on his back at that moment to make him go on, he would have found that he was a good for several hours hard going. But one of the worst results of being a slave and being forced to do things is that when there is no one to force you any more, you find you have almost lost the power of forcing yourself. So that they had to wait while Bray had a snack and a drink, and of course when and the children had a snack and a drink too, it must have been nearly eleven o'clock in the morning before they finally got going again. And even then, Bree took things much more gently than yesterday. It was really Quinn, though she was the weaker and more tired of the two, who set the pace. The valley itself with, it, itself, with its brown, cool river, and grass and moss and wildflowers and rhododendrons, was such a pleasant place that it made you want to ride slowly. Hey, Katie's Corners listeners, thank you once again so much for listening to the Katie's Corner podcast, keeping up with the books and the chapters as we post them regularly. Um, With 2022, we have some new goals and new adventures that we're hoping to reach here at Katie's Corner. The biggest one is to build a community around what we have going here. So two things. If with whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, if you could give us a rating, that would be amazing and help with our algorithm to reach more people who might vibe with the content here. But second of all, um, and probably the biggest thing that you can do for us is if you can head over to Instagram and search Katie's Corner with a Z instead of an S after the Katie. Find our page for the official Katie's Corner podcast that will have the same profile picture as what you see on the official podcast. Um, And then if you could give us a follow, like the content that's there if you vibe with it. But most importantly, if you could either through the DMs or through the comments underneath those posts, if you can tell us, tell me what you like about the podcast what you think we could improve on, um, that kind of stuff. Maybe even what books you would love to hear on the podcast. That would be a tremendous help to me and help start growing this community that I kind of hope we can do around this Katie's Corner podcast. So as always, keep reading, keep listening, and I hope you have a good day today. See you later.